Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. At Sephora, we know how you love to use makeup, skincare, hair care, and fragrances that work for you. But also how important it is to be in the know about the ingredients that are in them. Which is why we created Clean at Sephora. Curated products from brands like Merit, Amica, Summer Fridays, and Fleur that have everything you want, minus certain ingredients you might not. Clean at Sephora is only at Sephora. Shop now at Sephora.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hi, I'm your inner dream monologue, and you're fast asleep, so I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So while I fly and talk to animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Hello. You're listening to the BBC Country Farm magazine podcast, a podcast that celebrates the best of the British countryside. Come with us for adventures into the wild and meet fascinating rural folk. And in this, the penultimate episode of season three, we are lucky to have a particularly special rural character in the form of Tim Smith, the founder of the Eden Project and discoverer and restorer of the Lost Gardens of Heligan in Cornwall. Tim takes our own Annabelle Ross on a fascinating, chaotic, and downright hilarious tour of the extraordinary garden at Heligan and reveals the great story behind its resurrection. Warning, this episode contains encounters with some disturbing unidentified vegetables. We're, we're in the vegetable garden. You call it the vegetable garden? You are in the heart of the productive gardens of the Lost Garden of Heligan. This, this was a completely overgrown patch when we found it in 1990. Um, there were about 30 mature sycamores in here. Uh, there was bramble about five metres high and two very old apple trees that were probably over a hundred years old. Um, and we had to take the hard decision to let romance die for a moment and cut down the apple trees. It was a very sad day. But, you know, Philip Macmillan Browse, who was the horticultural director here, who was a, a, a complete madman for vegetables and, and, and soft fruit, he said, we're either going to do it properly and tell the whole opera or I'm off. And just behind you, what you see here behind you, is a, a hedge uh, made of thuya, thuya plicata. And again, I, I came out of the show business, so I wanted an instant hedge. And he said, people who want instant satisfaction fail in horticulture, Tim. And he made me plant these plants uh, literally uh, two metres apart. It's heartbreaking, these little squidgy things, you know. And, and, and I said, well, where's the rock and roll showbiz in that? 
And he said, you wait. Now, look at it, look at it. It is absolutely astonishing. It's in perfect, perfect health. There isn't a dead bit on it, and it's just burgeoning. When you put your head down to the path and look in, you see the big gaps between the roots, and you realise that I was right to listen to him and be bludgeoned into submission. But it's marvellous. I mean, the walls here are made of, on two sides are laurel hedges that had crept up to 50 metres into the garden on either side, and the hedge at this northern end uh, had disappeared. So the only wall is actually the wall of what's known as the melon yard at the far end, which actually forms the, if you like, the, uh, the entrance into the, the, the built productive gardens. Can we walk down to the melon? You may. Did you say the melon wall? Yes, the me- it's called the melon yard. Um, it's a, it's a, an oval walled garden, very small actually, with some productive buildings in it. There's a um, potting shed, a tool shed, there's a mushroom uh, house and there's a fruit store and there's a greenhouse, uh, a small greenhouse called the melon house where they used to bring on the melons and cucumbers and uh, they used to have the melons hanging in what looked like string braziers and the um, cucumbers were uh, held in what looked like glass rolling pins that were then tied to the end of the emerging cucumber so that they were grown absolutely straight. They were sticklers for all that. Who's they? They were the Tremaine family who owned the house, Heligan House, and they had moved here in the um, late 1600s and then slowly developed it so that by the end of the 1700s, the garden we're walking through at the moment had had its skeleton laid out. And in one of the major, in my view, one of the only uh, 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 arguments in favour of aristocracy, they had such a long-term view that in 1740 they planted hundreds of um, uh, trees on the boundaries of what would become the garden in order to create a shelter belt for a garden that would only get built 40 years later. That kind of long-termism I I doff my cap to. What are we walking under now, these arched? We're walking under uh, an apple archway of various British apples of different types. uh, The majority of them on this archway, I think, are called Ribston Pippin. Um, I don't know the names of all of them. there's Blenheim Orange, and I'm reading that off the label, by the way. That's not my deep knowledge. Uh, and over here you have Newton Wonder. So they've all got different things in it. But, but one thing I want you to look at, though, you see these... Um, uh, uh, they're, they're kind of uh, zinc plant name labels. One of the things we did here that no one had ever done before is we used metal detectors, and we found almost all the original uh, plant labels, which when you wash them off with so- soapy water and then... Uh, put a little bit of olive oil on it, the Indian ink reacts with it so you can read them as clearly as if it was written yesterday. And that's how we came to start the big quest to find uh, the varieties that have been growing here. And it was that that led us on a journey of discovery because I don't think I, don't think I had been aware quite of the influence of big agriculture on my life until we started to try and find the plants um, um, that, that, that we needed to restock it as it had once been in its heyday, which would, let, let's call it the 1870s or something. Ah. It's always distressing when you fall face forward into the mud. Um, if we were to go up this way, um, uh, you can see here this be- beautiful um, oval um, rear wall of the melon yard, which on the outside here you will see that the ground level up to about four foot six is made of stone and then it becomes brick. Brick was rare 
uh, here in Cornwall, which is ironic considering how much clay we've got, but there wasn't much brick building, but the brick was there because it absorbed the heat. And the reason why we're in the vegetable garden is, 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 is because what we're trying to talk about is what's happened over the last, I don't know, let's call it 30, 40 years, is that the lifestyle choice magazines and books and television programs about productive gardens disguise completely that horticulture at its highest level, agronomy if you like, the love child between agriculture and horticulture, is every bit as much a science as is medicine, as is pharmacy, as is engineering, and yet the profession has been degraded by our patronising ability to look at it as if this was easy somehow. And that's been given by the fact that you get sort of like, you know, celebrity chefs and, and gardeners and whatever doing television programmes without remembering to reference the extraordinary talents that are required to do this. Remember, before the age of refrigeration, you would die if you could not grow things throughout the year. What you're looking at is the most extraordinary symphony of research. You're looking at, here, you have uh, three types of uh, fruit tree. These are, you see them, they are uh, fanned out as if you had an open hand. Uh, they are as if they're crossed, which is when they are espaliered. Um, and then they're cordoned, which is when they just go up one line. All beautifully judged to make the sap go to making the fruit and optimising the fruit crop. What is remarkable is that here on the outside of this wall, you have it replicated inside many of the same varieties because the idea is that the north-facing wall will fruit and ripen much later than the inside wall. You're trying to use the seasons. So the choice you had here is, is remarkable. You had, to, you had to find the vegetables uh, and soft fruit that would give you food throughout the year, of course. But the major, the, the, the major thing was that how do you extend the seasons at the start and at the end? So you would, you would choose certain types of apples were chosen that didn't taste very good, but they were amazing, what were called keepers. You know, and when you, when you read the Bible of fruit called Dessert by Mr. Bunyard, it is the book. If you haven't read it, listeners, it is the book. There is no better book in the English or any other language about fruit. It's almost erotic when it talks about the moment of optimum ripening. It makes it sound incredibly lascivious. But what he was actually talking about was to get the optimum performance from all your fruit and vegetable, you required to know the seasons, the quality of the soil, the minerals in the soil, and management of pest and disease. So some of these apples you could keep till March, maybe even April, in in straw in the dark others would rot almost immediately but look look turn around and and what you see here is soil so good it is so good it's about four foot deep this soil in france this would be the terroir um, and in french gardens uh, what you get is the the uh, head gardener owned the soil that he he or she made and if you got if you fired him or her they would bring wagons and dig out their terroir and move it to their next employer but this terroir is amazing. You can see, uh, just in front of us, you see, see uh, old rotted down manure going onto the, 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 the grass. But you will also have seen a little bit of soot in its heyday because you wanted to make the soil go as black as you could so that when you got the early spring sunshine or the late winter sunshine, what little heat was coming off, it was getting absorbed by the blackness of the soil. And also, um, the other thing about this soil is that, that inside it, you would have put, you would have put uh, human night soil from the 
um, thunderbox room, the toilet, they would collect everything, the urine and the um, the feces. And the poor chap, the pot boy, the youngest of the lads, it was his job, or her job, I, th I think it was usually his, uh, that you had to uh, dig out the um, SH1T and take it out into the fields and dig it into the, the f uh, into the ground here. And then when that was over, you'd, you'd see the little minerals on the wall, the saltpeter, and you'd scrape that off with a sharp slate. You didn't want to waste anything. But uh, it was, uh, you know, nothing... Have you kept that tradition going we, at Heligan? We, we, only, we, only, we only do it every other year for particularly naughty boys. Um, no, we don't do that. But, but to be quite honest, all over the world, it is something that is done. I just wanted to um, to just, just name a few of these amazing um, pear varieties and things because we're sort of walking along and I, I'd like to just name a few of them. So you've got right, the... They're very good. They're very good. We, we go from uh, a bed next to the laurel thing of wild garlic and then the first fruit tree we come across is the plum, um, uh, uh, the river's early plum, um, followed by another plum, which I can't recognise by sight because it's starting to become autumn, uh, plum czar. It's a Russian plum. Because it's a czar does not mean it's Russian, but okay. let's, let's stick with that because it's nice. Here is a Williams pear. And I should think up here we may have um, uh, Doyen de Comis, or what is this one? No, it's a pear Emile de Haste. We have a Doyen de Comis. We've got a conference. We've got even now we're stuck at the archway looking into the melon garden. And there by the door... Um, of uh, the, the, the southern door of the melon yard, you see a huge pear tree. Do you see it? Yes, I do, yeah. That is an incredibly rare pear. And I, I may be able to reach one for you later. It's delicious. Could but... we try now? Oh, OK. <laughs> it's called a swan's egg. And this is a sta standing alone pear. It's this not like standing... all these other ones are on the no, wall. This, and this, this is... one is a loner. It is an independent pear. And here we're walking past more uh, fruit as we go in. We actually had a... What they used to have in here, I, I don't know why, but they did have American pillar roses for a long, long time. I hear it's Père Doyen de Comis. Um, uh, but we decided to go for the fruit. We're not sure whether they grew roses, because, you know, like in vineyards, they often grow... Uh, they, they used to have roses at the end of every line of vines, uh, because the pests and diseases that liked vines would attack the rose first, so that the gardener would actually know what to be on the lookout for. Now look, there is a windfall pear. Let's see whether it has got a wasp sticking tantalisingly out of the back of it, or... Um, well, I, I wouldn't favour this one because um, it's got a kind of suspect... Oh yes, it's a bit squidgy. You know what I mean? The, the yeah. suspect springiness which you, you, you bite into and you then have to look really polite. Um, let me just see where's the nearest pair I can see. Oh, crikey, up there. That's a long way up, isn't it? Oh, I tell you what, can, I may in the tool yeah. shed. I may in the tool can shed. Can I put that back? Let's throw it in the corner there. So don't you go. Ah, here we are. We've got a spade. Are you ready to catch? Well, not really, because I'm holding on to the microphone, but oh, I'll yeah. try. Well, this is, this is live theatre. The <laughs> Would you mind catching? Hello, you're right. Try to knock off a swan's egg pair. Right, okay. Uh, literally knock off. I tell you what, if you were to knock it, I can catch it. Where about which one? Uh, I'd go forget whichever one comes first. This one here. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I got so, water. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> we tried. You did very well. You did very well. Now, if you bite this end, is that it? One, you can have it. <laughs> oh, let's oh. go there. Okay, sir. Oh. oh. <laughs> There's a couple. Right. 
Eat the side that isn't uh, balanced. What's it like? I haven't tried it yet. Done. I've got, there's, can I put that one back? What's mm. this one called again? Swan's egg. It is one of the rarest eggs in the world. Pears in the world, I mean. Squidgy bits. Eat the other the non squidgy side. Okay. When mm. you taste it, you might mm. say, Thank you very much. Mm. It's a pleasure. That's Thank you very much. That's great. That's delicious. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, you too. That it's is good, absolutely good, delicious, yeah. But this, oh. mm. this raises a point about big agriculture. Um, which I was going to make later when we look at the strawberries or where, where we will have the strawberries in the cold frames. We grow what is the finest strawberry in the world by miles and no one would disagree. And it's called Royal Sovereign. However, the strawberry has a tendency to get what's called rust on its leaves and it, it crops in a very low amount, which means it's completely uncommercial unless you were to sell for £25 a punnet. But there are all sorts of things with brilliant. I mean, this swan's egg is a lovely, lovely pear. It's, it's, it, it's crisp and slightly sweet, as opposed to normally when you have a crisp pear, it, 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 that, that, that is the look of ecstasy. It's good, huh? Do you, do you sell these pears, or, or there aren't enough? I mean, the only way I ever get one is when I accost a visitor and say, will you knock one off for me? <laughs> <laughs> and can you propagate? Um... We propagate the strawberries. We don't propagate the pear. We just leave it here as a, an antique, an antique. Um, but you can't reproduce this this pear tree. I didn't say I couldn't. Oh. I have never tried uh, yet um, because it wasn't grown in the garden other than as a special. Hello, hello. They're the team that do the real work. Yeah. For those of you listening, that sound is a wheelbarrow with two people walking with manure. They're the ones getting wet all day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But look over here. We obviously got a lot of early saladings and mm. cucumbers and um, proper cucumbers with the spiky bits. Spiky, spiky cucumbers, mm. and I've no idea what that is over there. What on earth is that? <laughs> I, I've never seen one of those. <laughs> I know this is this is extraordinary, isn't it? I've got a tremendous face for radio. Uh, what what is, what is that? It, it looks it looks quite ancient. It looks like a melon that's been left in a pharaoh's grave. Um, <laughs> Let's move swiftly on, and if we're lucky enough Can to we? see... I'm not going to take it out in case it's actually not what I think it is. <laughs> That'd be terrible, it's, wouldn't it, if it was Just to describe like a, it, a, it looks like a sort of strange what, melon what, what that's brown like? and wrinkled and it cracked. It looks like a very large Fabergé egg with gold filigree all over it in all sorts of different shapes. There's another one behind it. That, one. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. It is, it is, it is, it is an amazing thing. I think we should photograph it and tweet it. <laughs> okay, let's do that. Does the BBC run to tweeting it? Yeah. Okay. Let me. Let me. Can you? Could you hold the microphone? I'll hold the mic. Hang on. All right. You keep on talking. Okay. I'll... You're going to photograph it. I... Yeah. This, this, you're, you're really getting down with the country folks now. Putting your hair on a on a courgette leaf, a cucumber leaf. Are there any? Uh, are there meant to be any melons in here? Um. Are there meant to be any melons in here? Well. Um, it's one of those questions I've never been asked. <laughs> Are there meant to be any melons in here? Is it's not as if they break in or anything, is it? I mean, they, they, they it will have grown. <laughs> Someone must have deliberately done it. It didn't, you know, there's no broken glass. It hasn't sort of like bounced in here by accident. I have to do this because we want to see the size. It is size. absolutely brilliant. You need your finger now. Oh, my finger looks huge. It, yeah. It's beautiful though, isn't it? 
What does it feel like? Sorry, it's, trying, it's complicated when you... Do you know what... Ah, hello. Look, talent has arrived. The, the brains trust. What is this? Uh, it possibly is a gourd. It's a, a gourd, is it? Uh, that one is. This, what? No, no, this is a this pear. Is a pear. This, is a, this pear. is a pear. This... I don't know why it's in here, because these are cucumbers. <laughs> oh, no, no you're, you're just bolstering her confidence now, because that's yeah. what she said. But there's another one over there. You see that? You have the far yeah. wall. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's definitely not a cucumber. <laughs> what? Would you like to open it? Oh, no, I think no. I'd feel anxious. I mean, it might be this moment in Alien where someone bursts out of my stomach or something. It, I mean, this could be... It's a dinosaur egg. Well, no, it actually looks a bit like a puffball, doesn't it? It's sort of like groovy puffball. Is that one attached to a plant? It's not attached. It's but not. Our confidence is building here because... It, it, our confidence is building, but, but, but yes. Is it justified for our confidence to build like this? <laughs> what do you <laughs> think? It, you've got no idea what it is? OK, it is the moment. It is the moment of Grand Theatre. I'm going to hide these swan's eggs because I've got them down to the sharp cold face of um, the wasp ending. OK. You were about we, to... Are we going to open one? Sure. Shall we go grab? I'll go grab something for us to open it. Uh, we, spade? Or you got a knife? Have you? Yeah. I'm, I've got this is good. Live. This is this is live podcasting. The BBC normally pays extra for this, doesn't it? I, I don't mean... know how much of this is going to stay in because <laughs> <laughs> we can't do a whole podcast on a sort of unidentified dinosaur egg, can we? In the old days, you could yeah. when you were good, you know. But now you've become a bit bourgeois and beige. I suppose not. You probably want to talk about Colleen Rooney or something. No, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Now look, I this is this the is... moment of theatre. Oh. Okay, this is, this is the, the rumble in the jungle. What's your name? Bethany. 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 Yes. Do you want me to do it? I think yes, and then I blame you. That's absolutely okay. fantastic. Oh, I think that sounds really promising. This, this, this is, this is where Nicola comes in and bursts into tears and says, "This was going to be my prize entry in next yes. week's garden show." Oh, it's a melon. Oh, oh my God! <laughs> it's a wow. melon. Is it? Uh, wow! Are you, are you going to eat it? I don't know that I ought to, but <laughs> it smells like a melon. Look, it smells it actually, actually like a cucumber. cucumber. It smells like that's exact. Exactly. Look, it is a cucumber, isn't it? Oh, that, it does smell like a cucumber, doesn't it? It does. I tell you what, life is too short to not have a bite. Can I have your... My weapon of choice. You haven't been moving dog toes, have you? <laughs> I haven't, no, I no. promise. <laughs> Do you want a bite? Oh, absolutely. You have, you have a bite? <laughs> and we'll, we'll have a bite over here. I'll just get the seeds out. You never know what happens next week. Wow, it's quite sour. Would you say, what would you call that? What sort of, would you say that was a cucumber or a melon or a mm. bit of both? Cucumber. They're the same family, aren't they? Mm. I think they are. That's why we yeah. grow cucumbers and melons in the melon house. You see, it's all coming together so nice. Yeah, it's got quite a nice aftertaste. Particularly like the grit stuck in there as well. Oops, sorry. Do you want a bit? <laughs> Thank you. We, we just, yeah, you hold the microphone. Hold the Everyone microphone. has to take turns holding the microphone. <laughs> Mm. 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 This could be when later we read that... It's quite bitter. bitter. It's funny, bitter taste. Just before you grab your stomach and die. 
You know what? I, really I think I've exhausted. Sure. I think I may have exhausted my interest in this cucumber. Okay, wait, can we? Oh, I've it was actually more enticing before I ate it than when I started. I agree. You wouldn't want a salad of this entirely. Are you very politely finishing yours? <laughs> he is. He's our rent a dinner. I'll just keep going and then see if the flavour changes a bit, I think, isn't it? That's it. <laughs> <laughs> The more you have, the more you like something. This is like a man eating the durian in the south. This is a cucumber, isn't it? It is a cucumber. Yeah, I mean, it won't have grown from one of these ones, so it will have made its way into the bed without us kind of... Yeah, excellent. There's never been quite a podcast like this, has there? I think I'm going to get the sack. Bye-bye, thank you. That's marvellous, that's marvellous. Okay. All of these plants that are here are plants that that, that were growing here originally. Look at this. This is a medlar, Nottingham, which is a marvellous medlar, which is... People have forgotten the art of of, of using the medlar. Can you see them? They're wonderful. Medlar jelly, terrific. Better even than quince. And then here you've got another one. Here here is a quince. I feel a bit rude having just said that, having stood just down the line, but these were all growing here before. And here... Yeah, you will never see one of these. This is a manure pit. Ah, one okay. here, one there. You heat up what's in here. If you look in very closely, you will see the most expensive pineapples in the world. They're, they must be going into sort of hibernation at the moment. Why? In winter. They don't? No, that's why we've got manure in these trenches, which heats up and it makes it warm in there. It's a hothouse. Gosh. The original, the original design, um, designed uh, by the head gardener here. you got to think that these gardens were not part of the pleasure ground so much as they were a war front like front zone the, the owners of places like this were competing for the quality of exotic plants they had and the biggest pineapple at the the Cornwall Garden Show it now sounds quaint when you say the Cornwall Garden Show but it was the first and to win uh, the award uh, for for the best pineapple the the, the most expensive uh, expensive the, the heaviest of the pineapples was called provident and i remember seeing the winning charts for the 1840s i forget what year exactly but lord falmouth won with one of 15 and a half pounds <gasps> that's the right sound to me Respect. And so we're in. Is this one of the greenhouses that you this uncovered? The melon house that yeah. you uncovered? Yeah, and we rebuilt. And here you see the pineapples. Oh, the pineapples. The cucumbers. Uh, we are not growing any in glass tubes. No, we have got some. In... But there's a glass. There is a glass tube here. I can see. Oh, so yes. that's. Oh, we got one. Sorry. Yes, that's there for tokenism to show you how it would have been everywhere else. But this part isn't actually open to the public, so it's the, the youngsters try, having a go. But actually, your cucumbers are quite straight anyway. Look at that one, it's so straight. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no, well, it, it is. And what else you notice in here is the... Um, here, these are the biological controls, the nematodes, which come out and they eat slugs. So we're looking at a, at a paper packet with a... Yeah, uh, with some creatures in it that crawl out. And when... they, then, they then go slug hunting. They kill the slugs? No, they creep up on the slug and they bury in behind the saddle of the slug and then they lay eggs inside there. And then before you know it, the slug doesn't feel very well. And then he's eaten from inside out. You see, it's good, this gardening luck, isn't it? It's, it's, it's actually like Game of Thrones, only a bit slower. Yeah, preparation for the cucumbers. Yeah, preparation for cucumbers. Gosh, your tools are all terribly neat and clean and, and well, well looked after. Yeah. And they're all made for us. 
Your tools are handmade for you? By... Uh, um, they're made by a Dutch manufacturer. Because when you actually do proper gardening, you need real tough stuff. Real tough stuff. Also, we talk about the romance. Let me bring, let's bring this podcast right back to the key thing, which is the, um, the, the, the heritage varieties. What's happened is that the heritage varieties who've got a, 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 a giant gene bank of virtues that we will need in the future have been taken to the verge of extinction because they don't grow in a homogenous way. They don't grow exactly the same size, exactly the same colour. They don't even sometimes ripen at exactly the same time. So they are no longer useful uh, in terms of uh, supermarkets and the rest of it. So no one grows them. And what you're looking at, to be honest, is a living museum that's been uh, kept together by uh, um, probably, in my view, the most fabulous society the world has ever seen called the Allotment Society. Um, they they have kept many of these varieties going. I mean, ranging from um, the 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 uh, rhubarb triangle, you know, up near Wakefield in in, in Yorkshire, um, down to the Scottish Tabry group, and so on. I mean, they're marvelous people, marvelous, and and they're tremendously generous because when when they become the owners of something that is rare, they want to make sure that other people have got them as quickly as possible, so they don't go extinct on their watch. What's the importance of keeping these varieties? Well, the, the importance of keeping these varieties, um, first of all, most of these varieties were bred to be particularly good in a particular environment. They were adapted to a particular environment and they were bred for certain attributes, either for uh, a particular tanginess, uh, preserving quality or whatever. It could, be, it could be anything. But the preserving quality was also to do with when you cooked them. When you read, if you're ever lucky enough to get the original Mrs. Beaton's uh, book of household management, what is interesting is that it was telling a basically urban uh, population which apples and pears and things to grow, to use, to get the particular type of pie or um, tart that she, she had in mind. And now it's just, take cooking apple. Well, they're really different. When you cook with the original varieties that are expected, it's a completely different beast. But the more important thing is that pests and diseases, as you know, um, they are breeding all the time to, to, to um, find out the weaknesses of their prey. And one of the things about really good plant breeding is that you are trying to breed uh, a resilience, uh, an adaptability that stops you falling prey to it. So therefore you find that, for example, uh, there's been a huge amount of research, of, as you would expect, in things like the staple crops of potatoes and rice and that sort of stuff, because the pests get through and you need to get ever stronger crops and also, you know, with a growing population, ever more nutritious uh, crop. And to lose varieties, I mean, in, in India there were something like 30,000 different types of rice, just like in Mexico there are about the same number of varieties of beans. Um, and when you start to lose all those different varieties and you get down to, you know, dozens or hundreds, you are really weakening your ability to, to progress. And I think the shocking thing about the loss of this tradition is that you're not seeing the development of new types of fruits and vegetables as you would have done when it was local because you could have started to get a taste for it and then it would move out. Now you've got to have a slam bang dunk, you know, with a particular type of thing that is really, really attractive. Do you think there's any, um, do you know of any other gardens like Heligan that need uncovering? Have you been looking for any or, 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 or are you stopping here? I have no desire to do another garden uh, like Heligan. Um, Heligan was my particular journey. Um, it was one of the most exciting things, if not the most exciting thing I've ever done. 
um, and it instilled in me values I didn't realize I had. The actual act of doing it taught me so much um, and it taught me a real love of, of, of the science of horticulture and a massive respect. And now as I get older and I see that this isn't just for a country living magazine or some lifestyle choice television program, this is actually about life and death. You know, May was the dying month. Um, I feel almost a, a missionary zeal to explain to people that gardeners, horticulturists, are proper people. They should be properly paid. Do you know how many gardeners we've got here? We have 23 gardeners at Heligan. That's more than we're here in their heyday. That's what what size is the garden? Uh, well, the garden in total up the northern part where we are now is 22 acres, and I think it's another... 18 in the jungle that you know but then we've got 200 acres of home farm and some gallops and the rest of it um but it's great i mean the thing is that the better you make something the more people want to see it and that's why heligan is the nation's favorite garden not for any other reason that i think people feel a sense of deep spiritual sense of home here it's it's proper it's authentic it's not fakery it's not like let's do oh we'll just do you know, this week or that week to get visitors. We do what we do and, and people seem to like it. I think we've probably finished there because that's half an hour, but I really want... I thought you were sort of edging towards the Thunderbox. Is it down there? It's just there. there is are, we get, are we able to just have a little... Yeah, yeah we can have a dip. I, I gather this is one of your favourite parts of, of Heligan. Well, you're standing in front of the icon, if you like, if that's the right word, um, the inspiration of what made us do the restoration the way we did it. Um, when I when I found it um, with John Nelson, we were just in front of us, about two metres from here, through that entrance, um, we were clearing out slates and broken brick and lime plaster and everything else, and then the sun came out and it hit the plaster. Um, you see some perspex there protecting the plaster, and it, it, it glinted on the... Uh, lead pencil marks that were made in the wall and we started to just look at it and got a magnifying glass and we saw that there were lots of names so we c copied down the names and there was a, a slogan there which said come ye not here to sleep nor to slumber and then rather poignantly although we didn't know at the time how poignant it was uh, it was dated August 1914 and we thought little about it as we found it at that moment it was just that within a few days we happened to go to the Crown Pub at St. Hugh, which is just up the road, and we went into the churchyard, and I can't, I can't remember for the life of me why, but we looked at the war memorial and we saw that four of the gardeners whose names are on there were on the war memorial, and that set us off on a course to go around all the war memorials, and we discovered that more than three-quarters of the gardeners who had uh, been working here um, volunteered and uh, would fall in the war. Um, and that was the start of us uncovering the reason why the garden had become derelict, was that from about 1915 onwards there were very few gardeners here, and um, the guy who had uh, owned the garden, John Claude Tremaine, was so distressed at the loss of his staff and colleagues, because of course we're living a long way west here, so he would, although he was the patrician, you know, lord of the manor, um, when you came a long way west, you would have been friendly with your staff in a way that you wouldn't have been if you were near a big urban centre. So to lose, I think it was 16 out of 22, 15 out of 22, was a huge, huge thing. Uh, so he then went off to Italy and never returned, and the house was rented out. Um, and then eventually the house was turned into flats m many years later, and this place had all run derelict. And uh, we came here in 1990 and, you know, cut our way in because that's the only way you could do it. Everything was smashed down. There were probably 200 sycamores in this part of the garden and we had to take them out. But I fell hopelessly in love with it. 
I mean, you can feel it here that you feel as if um, there's some kind of arrested uh, time being arrested in a way that means the mood of the place is still there. There's a gentle melancholy. In fact, although it's a gentle drizzle falling, the garden is at its best with this gentle drizzle. Um, and we just felt there was this really powerful story to tell. And when we met Peter Thoday, who was the man who did the Victorian Kitchen Garden on BBC Television, he, um, he thought we were funny because I didn't know anything about gardening at all. But he could see that I had set my heart on it. And he said, well, he said, if you wanted to do something really original, you'd tell the whole opera, not the greatest hits. So challenged by that, we decided to do just that. So we became the only garden in Britain that was telling the whole opera, the whole vegetable garden story, uh, from the ornamental flowers to the vegetables, the soft fruits to the wall fruit and so on. Um, and then we had the, the wild side, which is on the other side of the walls, you know, the, the, the rhododendrons and all the Himalayan introductions. So it's been a fantastically exciting and humbling journey. And now today, I'd like to think that if the gardeners from 1915 were to come back, they go, proper job. Well, if you listen to one podcast about strange garden produce this year, that was the one to catch. A huge, huge thank you to the inspirational Tim Smith for his wise and wonderful words on soil, gardening and life. And if you've never visited the Lost Gardens of Heligan, a fantastic treat awaits you. Find out about how to visit and what to expect at www.heligan.com. And thanks so much for listening. And don't forget to tune in next week for one last podcast in this series. And we'll be back for season four in very early 2020. You can find more of our podcasts, many more of them, at Acast and the Apple Podcast app and all other podcast providers. And in the meantime... If you need anything else about the countryside, visit our website, countryfile.com. That's it for now. Goodbye, and thanks for listening. <laughs>